0: Being asked to preach on a topic is sometimes challenging. When you are asked to preach on a book of the Bible, you have to look at it as a whole, and then you have to begin to look at it at its various parts. You recognize that some books are like letters, as Paul, for instance, would write a letter to Corinth or to Ephesus. There are books that are written in poetic form, like the books of Psalms and Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes is just a little bit different from all the other genres. It's a book that has somber reflections on the world in which you and I live. And as you and I look around at the world in which we live, there's a lot of things that are not fair there's a lot of things in this world that are less than what we would desire them to be. You find that there are people who possess all kinds of ideas and notions. And somehow we want to try to make sense of them. And Solomon asked the question, what man gets out of life? Notice chapter 1 and verse 3. What prophet... Has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What is your life all about? What does it mean? James would even ask the same question in James chapter four. What is your life? It is but a, appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Solomon is dealing with these kinds of questions. He also is concerned about the great motivator of life? What is it that causes you and I to get up every day, to go about our daily activities? What is it that we hope to get in the end? I asked the question in the outline, how many of us would show up for work if there were no paychecks? In other words, what kind of motivation do you have to live a good life versus a man maybe perhaps... Who would live an evil or wicked life. Some may think Solomon's ponderings are depressing. And if you look at life and life alone without looking at eternity, I can assure you there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of depressing things in this life. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If this is all that we have, then certainly there's not much hope for us. After reading the book of Ecclesiastes several times, I realize that it confronts a philosophy that is called existentialism. Now, you may say, I don't like those big words. I don't like talking about philosophy. Well, the Bible talks about philosophy. It doesn't call the name existentialism, but it does recognize the idea. For just a moment, let me try to explain to you what existentialism is. It focuses on the individual and his freedom but the fact that he's powerless to change anything. For instance, just like a hamster will get on one of those little wheels and run and run and run, and he's doing something, but he can't change himself by getting out of the little cage that he's in and the little wheel that he's on. In fact, I had to read some writings of an existential philosopher by the name of John Paul Sartre. Some of you, if you've taken a philosophy class or maybe even a literature class, you've had to read some of those. I remember reading the book, Being and Nothingness. What a depressing title that is. But it's it's one of his main works where he says, basically, you go through life and at the end it really doesn't mean anything. He wrote a play called No Exit. And it's about a man and two women who are sent to hell and they come to find out they're not in a burning place but they're in a room and uh, what happens is is that they annoy each one another and he said that's really the way life is. There's no point to it. There's no exit from it. Let me give you a couple of quotes and one from a popular one and then I want to try to go to the book of Ecclesiastes and deal with some of this. Woody Allen, the movie writer. There's an old joke. Two elderly women went to the Catskill Mountains Resort, and one of them says, boy, the food is really terrible at this place. The other says, yeah, I know, in such small portions. He says, that's the way I essentially feel about life, full of loneliness, misery, suffering, and unhappiness, and it's all over much too quickly or one who was probably a professional philosopher. And he says, if you want my final opinion on the mystery of life and all that, I can give it to you in a nutshell. The universe is like a safe to which there's no combination, or there is a combination, but the combination is locked up in the safe. It's as if you're here and you want there to be meaning to life and you can't find it. And so Solomon is going to explore life. And he's going to come away. And if you're reading it, at least from my perspective, you're reading these first few chapters, you get the idea that Solomon may somehow have bought into this fatalism that, you know, here it all comes again and it's all the same and it never ends. Well, Solomon will talk about the failure of this physical world. You look at the world and what does it produce? And then he's going to talk about the failure of the philosophical world as he talks about wisdom and what man pursues. This is essentially studying chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Look with me again at verses 4 through 7. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun also goes down and hastens the place from which it arose or where it arose. And the wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. And the wind swirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. If you just start looking at what he's saying, he's talking about the life cycle. You have a a generation that is born and everybody smiles when a beautiful baby is brought into this world and yet we experience the sadness and the grief when we give up those that we love. A generation comes and a generation goes. And it seems as if it's one generation after another over this past several weeks we've given up several great godly people The discussion that's been had among us is how many of these people have made such profound impacts on our lives. And then we talk about how those who were before them made impact. And it appears that this is something depressing. Or he talks about in verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, and it does it all over again. Day after day after day. Then he talks about verse 6, the wind blows from one direction to another and then it seems as if it never ends. The wind continually blows. And then verse 7, the rain. You know, the rain falls, it fills up the rivers, the rivers flow out to the ocean, but the ocean doesn't overflow. It doesn't get too full. You know why? Because it evaporates, comes back and rains again and the rain cycle all over again. When you get to verse 8, here's what he draws the conclusion. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Everything in life is operating in that same way the physical universe in which we are part of. And you and I can't express it, we can't put it into words. He says, there's nothing that satisfies. Everything is exhausting. That is, it's full of labor. Man is unable to express even the intricacies of this world. And the eye will never be satisfied, nor the ear with hearing. You see, we'll never learn everything there is about this world. Less than 10% of the oceans have been explored. There's places in the depths of the sea that they don't have mapped because man has never been there. The truth is the failure of this physical world. Now, don't you look at verses 9 and 10, because he's, he's, he's trying to build a crescendo here. He says, that which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there's no new thing under the sun Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. This has already been in ancient times before us. You know, even ideals are cyclical. The fact that you and I may think we've come up with a new idea and you find out somebody already had that idea a long time before I did. I remember a brother several years ago who had written a book says, I wish I had said that. And then come to find out some of the things that's there have been said by people before him. Uh, We're not originators. People think they've discovered something, but what they've discovered is something was here all along. Scientists are discovering new uses for plants. But then you find out that people who are living in some part of South America where there's not been... People have been using these same plants for those same purposes. And you say, well, did the scientists discover it or just did they rediscover what others had already known before? The Athenians were in a hopeless pursuit of, as Paul would say, either trying to spend their time either to tell or to hear some new thing. I want to find something new. And Solomon says, it doesn't exist. And so he pondered now, if you look at this world, what you see is cycles and it keeps happening over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, maybe then, if I explore wisdom, I explore thinking, I explore my mind, then I can find some reasonable solution to this world. Listen to him in verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This is a burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered i communed with my heart saying look i have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in jerusalem my heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and i set my heart to know wisdom and also to know madness and folly, I perceive that this is also grasping for wind. For much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. As you begin to look at this idea of philosophy, the word philosophy simply means love of wisdom. The first part, the P-H-I-O, like Philadelphia, means to love something. The last part, Sophia, is the word for wisdom. So it's to love wisdom, to love understanding. Can philosophy provide you and I what we need to do to find meaning in life? Look at verse 13. Solomon wanted to seek and to search out my wisdom. I'm going to take my mind and I'm going to try to see if I can find out What life is all about? Can I think about it enough? Can I reason about it enough? Well, wisdom can either be worldly or spiritual. And the Bible addresses this idea of worldly wisdom, and you can see it prominently in the book of 1 Corinthians. You see, Paul is writing to a group of people who are, like the people of Athens, philosophers And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20 and 21, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What Paul is saying is, is that the world, through its wisdom, thinks it knows how to to make its own judgments, its own decisions. And what you find is, just like in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, Oh Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. We have a world today that's trying to decide Is this right or is this wrong? Is this good or is this bad? And they're trying to do so without taking God into the picture. How can you decide anything is right or wrong without God? Or there is the spiritual wisdom. In James 3, verses 13 through 17, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not lie and boast against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He's telling you there's two different ways of using wisdom. Either godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. What's Solomon contemplating? He's contemplating the wisdom of this world, how a man might be able to think about and think through things. The key phrase in the book is, "Under the sun." It refers to the works of man here on earth, and you cannot have the answers to the questions of life by contemplating this world and twenty nine times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon keeps saying, "Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, where where you and I live. you can't find the answers there. I have seen all the works done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind. What that tells you is is that everybody who's trying to find the meaning of life is like trying to grab the wind out there and they can't get anything. And Solomon sees that and he sees the futility of it and the vanity of it. And then he makes a statement, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered. What do you mean, what is crooked, cannot be straightened? How do you tell a man whose life is not in harmony with God without using the Bible, without using God's Word? He's out here and you're trying to correct Him. You know, one of the things that we're so struggling with in the United States right now is the ability to make moral decisions. How are you going to make a moral decision without God? If there's no God, then everything that you might want to come up with would be acceptable. One cannot discern how to count the lacking. Where are you going to get your lacking from? If God doesn't provide, man is insufficient on his own. Now, someone says, well, but... These people, they just didn't have enough information. They just weren't wise enough. You've got to come down to our generation to find truly wise men. Solomon would laugh. Look at verses 16 through 18 again. I commune with my heart saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for wind. For in much wisdom is much grief and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. He said, I commune with my heart. That's essentially saying, I thought about it, I pondered on it. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I sit around every once in a while and think. Hopefully I'm thinking, here's what God's Word says, and here's how it ought to find some application to men's lives. You know, Solomon said, I I thought about the things of this world, and he said, "Uh, I didn't see any answers. And when you think about Solomon, he was the wisest man on earth. First kings 4:29 and Solomon gave wisdom and exceeding great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore thus Solomon's wisdom excelled all the wisdom of the men of the east all the wisdom of Egypt he was wiser than all men than Ethan the Ezrahite Heman Calcol Darda Sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He also spoke of trees and of the cedars of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He also spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And And the men of all nations from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I want you to consider the breadth of his understanding. Here's a man who knew how to deal with people. That's old wisdom in and of itself. Here's a man who knew horticulture. He knew trees. He knew the various plants. Here's a man who knew zoology. He understood animals. you got botany, you got zoology. You've got a man here who has a very broad understanding and training because God gave him that understanding. He was wise enough to know, but that didn't prevent him from making mistakes. Folks, I want you to think about that. Here's wisdom, here's knowledge, here's understanding. And he says, with it comes sorrow and grief. You know why? Because Solomon says, I knew better, but I didn't do better. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Why didn't he do better? What about yourself? Have any of us ever known to do better? Have any of us understood that what we're doing was unwise and not very smart, but did so anyway? When you read 1 Kings chapter 11, I'm just going to look at the first four verses there. I think that's plenty. There's more, but he says he loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from whom nations the Lord had said, the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. you shall, they will surely turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and these, his wives turned away his heart. Here's a man who knew what God had said, and he did it anyway. You realize the failure of wisdom? Because wisdom cannot on its own, make you what you ought to be. Will the cycle be unbroken? Skeptics, they argue everything's continued as it was since the beginning. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as were since the beginning of creation. And then Peter goes on to say they willingly forget about the flood God has intervened into this world in a powerful way on more than one occasion. He destroyed the world with a flood that represented His justice in this world. But God also intervened in this world with the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, who provided for us an example of how we ought to live and how we ought to think What we ought to do. There will be an end of all things. And when the end comes, you have to be ready for that realm. And that's the reason why when you get to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Everything's been said. Everything's been heard. Solomon says, you look at it all. And he said, here's where you come down to. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is man's all. You're not going to find the meaning of life in this physical world. You're not going to find the meaning of life in philosophy. You're only going to find the meaning of life in God's plan for your life. And it's revealed in the New Testament. God loves us. God wants us to be obedient to Him. God wants us to be His children. He reveals His plan of faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of those sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized. It also reveals to us that God continues to love His children. One of the greatest passages is found in Luke chapter 15. A picture of a son who makes some very unwise decisions. He lives his life of looking for pleasure, looking for joy, goes into a far country, and he, like Solomon, ponders the meaning of life. He comes back to the conclusion that if I were only in my father's house, there's blessings there to spare. I can go back and I can say I'm sorry and at least I could be a hired servant. But he comes back home to find a father who is enthusiastic, lovingly ready to receive him home. Exactly the same way God thinks about us. The door is open. If you will, you can turn your song books to number 701. We're going to sing the song... Tomorrow may be too late. Solomon would say exactly the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you need to obey the gospel or to come home, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.